Thank you for tuning in to Carbondale Historical Society's podcast. This episode is part of our This I Remember audio archive. This archive are interviews conducted in the 1980s and 90s by Mary Ferguson, a longtime resident of Carbondale, born in Spring Gulch. These interviews aired on Katie and Kay and were recently donated to the Historical Society by Mary's descendants. The Historical Society wants to thank Katie and Kay, Seven Stars Rebecca Lodge Number 91, Alpine Bank and Meredith and Dan Bullock Ferguson's family, as well as the many other donors and volunteers who came together to save these tapes and make them forever available to our Carbondale community. Enjoy. My guest is Charles Harris. His parents and grandparents are perhaps the oldest pioneers in this valley. Chuck has a lot of memories that he will share with us tonight. Chuck, when did your grandparents first come to this community? It wasn't. In, uh, my grandfather came to over the hill into Aspen in 1880. With, uh, along with his partner, and uh, they put up uh, a little old log shack in Aspen for their main headquarters. And when, at the time he moved in Aspen, there was only a, a few log cabins and mostly tents. So it was pretty much on the early side. Then they came on down the Roaring Fork Valley, primarily uh, market hunting for Aspen because there was a shortage of all kinds of uh, meat and fish and anything that they could eat. Flour, especially. So, <laughs> but so they uh, they started market hunting and they worked on down the Roaring Fork Valley and uh, with the intentions of finding some place where they could homestead and and make a ranch. I and my grandfather's partner, Thomas Cannon. He uh, sold out a couple of years after that and uh, left the country. But where my grandfather located is just uh, west of the animal hospital where uh, Richard and Dennis Reese now live. And that was the only place that they had found any amount of grass that would make wild hay. Primarily, they made their living hunting and fishing so that uh, they could supply Aspen. I think your grandfather uh, raised the very first potatoes in this valley. I think so. Uh, in August in 1880, they kind of had a, a passable road for teams to come into Aspen and he and his partner went to Buena Vista and bought some provisions it's like a, a scythe and uh, a couple of hay forks and they got their wagon and finally got it in as far as Aspen then they stored their provisions in their little cabin in Aspen and went on down to the ranch where they were putting up hay and uh, then they went back to Aspen for some more of their provisions and found out their cabin had broken into and everything was gone. So they went back to the ranch and fished and hunt and 
enough to kind of get them by and then uh, they went on into Aspen and sold that stuff and they made another trip to Buena Vista where they sold their original, I mean where they stashed their original wagon and so forth. And they also took some fish over there and sold them for 50 cents a pound at that time. Then they bought more supplies and potatoes and uh, they brought them on down to the ranch where they could kind of keep track of them. No more break-ins. <laughs> that was really, uh, there was no no police force anywhere around. You were on your own, particularly. They definitely were on their own. Uh, I didn't, was pretty small when my grandfather died, but he told my dad that uh, when he first moved into the valley, that uh, there were still uh, rings where the Indians had their teepees oh. uh, up there in uh, in the meadows uh, where Cerises now live. So actually, my grandfather was the first white man to settle down here in the in this end of the valley. Did he build that great big brick, two-story brick yes, house? Yes, he built that uh, later years after he got healed up, so to speak. <laughs> Uh, Beth Harris used to be one of our school teachers here in Carmel, and every weekend she would take some of the high school girls home to to her house there, that great big brick building. And um, when we slept upstairs all by ourselves, we were scared to death. The witches and the ghosts and the goblins would get us because none of us had lived in a two-story house. Yeah, it was quite a house. There was 20-some-odd <coughs> rooms. Uh, yes, I know. And, uh, but it was, and it was made of, uh, I believe the bricks came from down at Cattle Creek. They had well, a, at one time, a kiln I think at one time down there down and there. cured bricks down there. And I think that's where these came from, but I'm not sure. And this house was such an outstanding house out there in that meadow. It's gone now. It, yes, it's Didn't gone now. Did they take it to uh, Aspen? Uh... I don't know where it went. Uh, they, somebody, uh, got bought the brick from Mumbert Cerise and they tore it down. And where they went, I don't know. Well, I think they rebuilt it somewhere. I'm not sure about that, but anyway, that was the highlight of our high school days to go out with with Beth Harris and get a chance to sleep in that great big brick house. Well, they. Uh, in the winter of 1881, uh, they uh, packed meat and some of the hay that they, they made a, a homemade baler of some kind, and they packed, uh, packed the hay into Aspen on horses. They didn't have a road going in there at that time. And Telephone. Yeah. You're on speakerphone. You just uh, nudged that a little. <laughs> telephone got in the way. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, the telephone got in the way. And at that time, they uh, they sold their hay for a hundred dollars a ton. Believe it or not, in 1881. Goodness. So that's not. Uh, uh, well, it isn't the first because hey, I'm sure this winter will be a hundred dollars a ton all the way through. Well, in some places now, they're they're talking about $100 hay. Yes. Uh, my grandfather 
said that Phil Phil Van Cleve was uh, one of the next oldest settlers in Garfield County besides he. And uh, Van Cleve came in November in 1880 and uh, then later on uh, founded a, a ranch up in Spring Valley. See, we're there trying to promote that Spring Valley Ranch into a 20,000 population community now. Well, it's, it's getting that way every place. It seems Everywhere like you look, there are houses. Uh, people from every place are, are moving into this area because they didn't like it where they were, and now they want to change this to where it's like it was where they came from. Yes, this was such a quiet, friendly neighborhood, and now it's busy, busy. Yes, I remember when I went to high school, why, you knew everybody in Carbondale, and everybody knew you, and it was kind of a big family. But uh, anymore, I've lived here almost all my life, and I don't know anyone. Right now, I, I know a lot of people know me, but you know, even the uh, students that I've had in the last 30 years have grown up, and often I see them, haven't seen them for 30 years, and I wonder, who in the world are you? But most of our kids have gone away, gone to great professions, doctors, lawyers, merchants. And uh, it's really a wonderful feeling when some of our kids go away and come back, making who've reached the top wherever their career leads them. And our schools now, when we add the little two well, a two-story building, eight grades downstairs, high school upstairs. Now we've got three or four buildings and some trailers, and we still don't have enough room. Yeah, I attended that school when the high school was upstairs, and I believe, that, if I remember correctly, there were 11 of us that graduated that year. There were four when I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> and I always compare that with a couple of years ago, we had 64 graduating. It's a big difference. But it's and the kids that we have now are well there's too many you can't teach a room full of kids as used to when you have two or three grades in one room when i first started teaching i didn't have more than 18 kids from first grade to eighth grade now there's 30 40 anyway at least 25 or more in each room well, that's progress. The, uh, progress in the population yes. increase. Uh, my grandfather stated in his diary, and this is what I'm reading part of out of, that Mr. William Dinkle was uh, one of the older settlers in, in uh, Carbondale. In 1881 is when he came in and uh, decided that the country needed a store, so he built his first store in 1883, which was at his ranch, which was located out around town here somewhere. It doesn't say exactly where he well, was located. Well, it was out toward the Catherine store, out in out that direction. Way. Anyway, he didn't mean to stay here. They were headed east, 
and uh, he encountered Indians and they had to more or less stay here where they had some degree of safety and then decided to remain here. Uh, my grandfather stated at the time that he came in here that they were they were in on the Indian reservation. And the first first uh, county seat was up on uh, Carbonate Creek, which is north and a little east of Glenwood up on the flat tops. I think there's an old town of Carbonate. Yes. Uh, the site's still up site's there. site's still up there. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then it was moved down to where the springs and the, the hot water was. And it became Garfield County seat. When this, uh, when my grandfather first here, the first county was, I forget the name of it, but the, uh, I think it was Breckenridge was the county seat. That's quite a that distance time. away. Anyway, uh, I have a check framed at home that was given to my grandfather for some sort of civic duties, whether it was jury or, or what, I don't know, but uh, I still have that check. And uh, I expect it'll stay in the family forever. Oh, I should. Those are, as most people say, the good old days. But yep. they were the good old days because we knew everybody. That's right. If you uh, you knew who was uh, light-fingered, and if they happened to show up around your place, well, we saw so-and-so there that day. So if you miss anything, well, you know where it went. And everybody took care of everybody else. It kind of, it's different now. Nobody seems to care about anyone else. And it's, uh, it's a different situation altogether. Sometimes the good old days did have their, their uh, good points. There, um, it's, uh, well, the entire town has, uh, has changed, uh, with different economies. We had the uh, pioneers and the hunters, the farmers, the cattle people. The, uh, we even raised beets at one time. Yes, my grandfather sugar, raised beets. Raised sugar beets. And of course the potatoes were known all over the United States. And then now of course we're in for tourism. And it's Instead of animals and all, it's too late animals and <laughs> people. We do have a lot of tourists. And we have become known as a recreational vicinity. And we do. We have the hunting, the fishing, the hiking. We've got everything to offer. But uh, those of us who have lived here all our lives are a little bit of jealous of it. <laughs> so. I can remember when I went to high school, uh, if you had a horse, it was because he was a workhorse or, or a saddle horse, and you used him almost daily. Now, uh, a horse is a pleasure. A, a horse is a pleasure thing. Yes. And it used to be too that everybody had a few pigs, uh, a few cattle, and some had a few sheep and chickens. And, and all everybody had chickens. That was our alarm clock. That was <laughs> we had our chickens, and everybody waited for the rooster to crow. And it was time to get up. We used to thrash and haul the 
wheat down to the mill there at Glenwood. Yes, that's become a village. And now that's a, a little village. But we used to go down there and we'd trade so much wheat for so much flour. Well, we used to do that. My dad would put, load the wagon yeah. and take the grain down and come back with the uh, bran and the flour. And uh, that was just part of every was, year living. That was part of every year living. Then uh, if you had a surplus, why, you sold that to the miller and he made flour and sold it to elsewhere. The, uh, the old, well, as I say, the site is there, but the flour mill is still gone. And, of course, the old road used to be the main road, and I remember when it was all a dirt road. Oh, yes. And when we used to go to Glenwood on strawberry days and things like that, we'd go down and we had friends there, and we'd stay overnight, maybe over the weekend. But it would take all day to get there and all day to get back home. We... Uh, when I first can remember Strawberry Day, uh, the old road went uh, well, right alongside of the flour mill. Yes. And uh, it was dirt all the way. All the way. And corrugated, well corrugated. And the dust was pretty thick. And legend, legend has it that uh, as you went by what was the Quigley place at one time, that uh, he always kept a mud puddle close by, and when the old Model T's and came along and got stuck, he'd pull them out. After they left, he'd water the water hole again <laughs> for the next car to come by. That and sounds uh, like uh, <laughs> like a, a true <laughs> thing because I knew uh, Mr. Quigley. Yeah, Irishman or Scotsman? Irish wasn't he? I think he was Irish. Yes. Anyway, very musical for that matter. Enjoy listening to him and his family with uh, musical instruments, all enjoyable people. I didn't know that part about him, but I used to work at a service station in Glenwood when uh, you went into there and you you checked the tires and you checked the water and you checked the oil and you washed the windshield and then asked them if they wanted some gasoline. Uh. Now you... uh, about 23 uh, cents, I think. Uh, yes, around around 20 cents. Yeah. We, when we sold the store uh, in 72, I think we were around 39 cents on gasoline at that time. Wow. That's the Catherine store. Yes, Catherine store. And uh, that has changed hands quite, quite a bit since you had it years ago, or has it? Well, not too much. It's the... Operators of the store changed hands quite a little bit, but uh, the ownership didn't. Uh, we sold it to, well, we bought the store from my brother-in-law, Louis Glacier, and uh, then sold it to uh, Robert Holgate, then bought it back from Robert Holgate, and built a new store as it is today, and we had a pretty good supply of just about everything. It was pretty much a general store. It was a general store. Yes. We sold uh, Levi's and nails and horseshoes and uh, most every kind of food and stuff. And uh, then later on, why, I sold motorcycles and chainsaws. and We sold a lot of stuff. And then, of course, you had the service station, too, the gas. And yeah. And oil At that and time, all. it was still the service station. Yeah. We used to go out and wash the windshields and 
check the gas and oil and fill the tires. And so it's it's quite a waste place right now. It's uh, well, that's where the Missouri Heights Road goes on up. Number what's the hundred road? Is that it? The hundred. I believe that is hundred road. Anyway, crosses there and. I used to drive up that road when I was teaching on Missouri Heights, and it was a dirt road too. Oh yes. And then we With had ruts. To, oh ruts. <laughs> and then we had gravel, and now the roads are really boulevards compared to what they used to be. Yeah, they're paved. Yep. I can remember when uh, Ray Wimmer and Ray Swaggart used to be mail carriers. Mail carriers. And they'd go in the summertime in an old Model T Ford. And in the wintertime, when the roads got bad, why, Ray Swaggart r drove a, a buggy and a horse, and Ray Wimmer packed the mail on a couple of pack horses and made the route. It doesn't seem possible that, uh, that we have everything that we have in this day and age, how this country has filled up with people and all the things that they brought with them. No, it's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, the road where I used to live and where you lived at one time up there, there used to be no mailboxes on that road at all. No. And I counted the other day, and there's 44 mailboxes where there used to be not be a one. I know that, and there so on there's the, our place there. Uh, I have no idea how many houses there are there on that place now. When our place, our house was the one and only. Yes. And then that John Haskell and. And um, oh, Alden Half and the Shooties, and that was it. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, there was, uh, well, the place that you were on, I imagine there must be, I would say roughly there's, there's a neighborhood of 15 houses on it right now, if not uh, more. If not more. Yes, that, uh, at that time we used to drive the tractor to the foot of the hill where we parked our car to come on to school because that road was terrible and you couldn't make it up that hill with a car. So Jack would meet us at the foot of the hill so we could go home. Sometimes we even had to walk then. <laughs> but that road is it's still twisty and all, but it's, it's really great compared to what we used to put up with. Well, when I was going to high school, we had a uh, my dad and Frank Schutte bought an old Model T Ford together, and that's what Tony and I drove to school. And uh, we had three, three gears, high, low, and push. That <laughs> <laughs> push is right. <laughs> and then uh, usually about six weeks during the spring, the bottom would fall out of the road, and we had to go horseback. Yes, I know the... Uh Kids used to come to school with the horses, and up there on Missouri Heights, we had a place where we'd tie them up. They'd have a bale of hay for the day, and we uh, had to carry water at that time. I always took a, a can of water to school with me every day, either at Crystal Springs or Missouri Heights. And uh, we had horses. And when I was going to school with sunlight after the Spring Gulch School closed, uh, uh, Rocco Similian was the only one that had a horse. And you know, he had, he was the best fed kid in school because we traded all of our run lunches in order to ride that horse. <laughs> so we always made it somehow or other that we'd have an extra piece of pie or cake or 
even an apple so he could get to ride Rocco's horse. <laughs> he was uh, one of the early entrepreneurs in the yes, country. <laughs> yes, he was. So, and then at, uh, of course, at Crystal Springs, there were times when that road was really icy. Oh, yes. There was, there was times uh, that I can remember that it blew full of snow and nobody got through. I come several out days that the mail wouldn't even get through. I came out of the schoolyard. I had to come out at a right angle to the road. And uh, my Model T Ford didn't stop. And I went right across the road and I was up on the other fellow's front porch before it stopped. So I was thankful we had a lot of snow or I would have been in their house. Well, we could use snowstorm like that again. Uh, we've been several winters that we haven't had any snow. Evidently, we're headed for the ice age now. Well, maybe, but it's a uh, far cry from that the last few days. <laughs> but, you know, places that did not get rain are getting the rain, places that were really flooded or dried out as can be. What other jobs do you guys do? The worst one was in 1933. Thank you for listening to another fantastic installment of This I Remember by Mary Ferguson. For the full archive of all of the episodes, please visit carbondalehistory.org. If you would like to be able to search through the entire transcription library of all of her episodes, please email info at carbondalehistory.org. Thanks so much. Stay tuned. Subscribe.